Are you on the hunt for a perfect gift? Well, this year, give your loved one a gift that never goes out of style and will last forever. Give them a lifetime hunting or fishing license. A lifetime license just might be the best gift they ever receive. The Minnesota DNR offers a variety of lifetime licenses that include fishing, small game, sportsman, deer hunting, and more. Costs vary by age, and it really pays off big time to purchase a lifetime license for youngsters. Get this, a lifetime license purchase for a Minnesotan age three or younger will pay itself off in about 15 years. That means from about age 30 on, their fishing license will be free the rest of their life. If they move out of state, their license is still valid when they come back forever. My kids have lifetime sportsman's licenses. And last year we bought one for my nephew and my dad too. I just can't think of a better gift to give to someone that loves the outdoors. The memories that we make together in the field and on the water are priceless. A lifetime license makes the outdoors accessible forever. Learn more at mndnr.gov slash lifetime. That's mndnr.gov slash lifetime. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Shera, your host for today. And our next guest, Cartrell Cooper, dog trainer extraordinaire, is hanging out with me in person today at the production office. Cartrell, welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast. Thank you for having me, Laura. This is exciting. This is very exciting. Well, I'm thrilled that you are here today. Um, I'm going to call you Coop because this that's is that's perfect. your nickname, Cartrell Cooper. Everybody call calls him Coop. Coop. If you call me Cartrell, I know you don't know me. <laughs> and uh, I've known Coop for many, many years. Um, you have been uh, giving seminars on dog training at Game Fair since almost I the beginning. was there, since almost the beginning. We are going on, is it 43 years at Game Fair now? It will be coming up this year, I think. And I think you've only missed two years. It's incredible. So how many years have you been in the dog training business? Well, I started, I trained my first dog and got paid for it in 78, 1978. 78. I was young, but I got my first check and then it started out as a craziness that one neighbor had me train their dog and then the next neighbor had me train their dog and then I had to keep walking them and it's been every day since then. Every day since then. So not only are you, um, a dog trainer and you do dog training in all aspects. So from upland bird hunting dogs, gun dogs, also just straight obedience dogs. You work with some um, dogs that are having maybe some issues with yep. aggressiveness and things like that. Small to tall, I train them all. Small to tall, you train them all. And you also um, just recently finished a book, which is called Positively Possum. The Ultimate Dog Lover's Textbook. And Coop sent me one in the mail. And when I started going through this, and I have been um, a dog lover for many, many years. And I was going through all of the chapters. And there is so much wonderful information in here regarding dog health, choosing the right puppy, genetics of dogs, the psychological um, behavior of dogs and why they do things, to... Um, what to feed your dogs, what to bring with you when you're traveling with your pets, all sorts of quizzes on things that you can take to understand if you really know what you're doing in the dog training world. So why did you, let's just start with, why did you decide to write this book? Well, Laura, when I was in college, um, University of Wisconsin, River Falls, uh, there was a, my animal science class, we studied animals. Okay. 
And they had a little small section that was about a paragraph in reference to dogs. And so I approached my professor. I said, well, why don't we cover anything in reference to the, the dog world? Because more people have dogs than have cows. More people have dogs than have sheep and horses. More people have them. He goes, but that's not where the money's at. The money is in cattle. I said, well, but I know everybody in this classroom would love to learn about the dog side. And he goes, well, you can teach a segment. I'd be more than happy to have you as a guest lecturer, and you can teach a segment. I'm like, okay. So I went out to research to find a textbook to present for class. There wasn't anything there. Um, so I went to research for just the nutrition side, uh, the business side, from the animal science world to project it as a classroom so, you know, to show where the money was at. There wasn't one there. So over the years, I've waited for somebody else to produce one, and it's never been done. And after every class or every time I send a person, a dog home from training, they go, well, do you have a book? I'm like, there's plenty of books out there. You know, I look at the, the world of dog books. There's plenty of them. Why do I need to add another book? Well, because there hasn't been anyone to answer the questions. And part of that, not answering the questions, is not doing the avenues of training that I've done from basic obedience to training bomb dogs and drug dogs and search and rescue dogs. Well, you don't have any trainers out there that have done all the disciplines. You know, my goal when I was training as a kid was to do all the disciplines. Now, that's an undertaking within itself just to go, I want to learn how to do bomb dogs. I want to learn how to do search and rescue dogs. I want to learn how to do agility dogs. I want to do confirmation. So the book is a year's worth of years and years and years and years of work of not finding the answers to the questions in any other books because nobody had done all the disciplines. You know, you have trainers that have done great in just behavior modification. You've had trainers that have done great in agility or trainers that have done great in the confirmation world. But those individuals never want to cross the line to the field trial guys. Those individuals never want to cross the line to the night hunt guys. And doing the night, I mean, they all do somewhat similar, the same things with the dogs. But the information doesn't get shared. So my goal was to share it all. So the night hunt guy, he's not left out. He can look in the book and find information to help him with his coonhounds and, and rabbit dogs and, and uh, the other types of breeds that they want to run, as well as the cop who's having problems with the search and rescue dog or having problems with his narcotic dog. So all those disciplines are available in the book. So that's kind of the drive was it wasn't there. And thinking that, you know, how do you make it there? Is it to produce it yourself? But then you look at when I started writing the book, I was thinking, well, you know, the criticism that you receive because one trainer's philosophy versus another trainer's philosophy, but they all have the same goal. Well, I didn't care because I think every trainer out there is doing the exact same job to get the best dogs in people's households. So I'm not intimidated by anybody else's technique. I'm not intimidated by anybody else's theory because they all have value in getting the goals of having good dogs in a household. So learning talking about the different styles of training doesn't bother me because if it takes one style to help 50 people, good. If a different style or technique or collar works and helps this 50 people, good. It's all about having safe and happy household dogs. So. Very cool. Well, there is an incredible amount of information inside the book. And um, on top of the dog training, as you had mentioned, you also are very well versed in the confirmation of showing dogs and you do um, dog handling and showing all over the country. And you have for many years. 
And um, so it's, you have such a wealth of knowledge that does span across the agility world to the obedience world, to the upland bird dog world, to um, showing dogs. And in fact, you took Bacon through his first dog show experience, which was amazing. <laughs> he was a good boy. Very he was good. a good he boy. He was a very good dog. He did everything you asked of him without yeah. ever having prior knowledge to what a dog show was, which was, was amazing. Happy. And he was. Coop, what more do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, the fun part about the dog show world is it gives a person the opportunity to know what they really should have. Mm-hmm. But the hard part in today's world is the internet direction of dog information. Those that have the least information market it the loudest. Those that have their niche of information of pedigrees and what you should do, they have marketed from past knowledge like newspaper or word of mouth or hearsay or referral, but that's not the world that we live in today. So you look at the information that's poor doesn't get to the people. I mean, the information that's good doesn't get to the people that need it. That is so true. And you have a chapter in here about choosing the right puppy. Yep. And I completely understand what you're saying when you, you're trying to look for a puppy or you start trying to find the right breeder. Many times the breeders that aren't doing the best ethical breeding are the ones that have all the money poured into the websites and the advertising and the marketing and the social media pages specifically. And they know what to say. And they know what to say. And those that are very serious about it are so busy doing the right dog thing. showing confirmation, the right thing. Many times their websites per se, if they do have one seem might be a little bit older or, or they want a yeah. phone call, which is actually the right thing to do is to call these people on the phone to have the conversation. They want to talk to you. Yes. They want to know what your personality is. They want to know what personalities that they're going to put their puppy into your household for 15 years or less. They want to make sure that you understand that when you have a dog and something happens within your family, you get separated or something bad happens, they want their puppies back. If you look at unethical breeders, they could care less about getting their puppies back. They want huge deposits and they're going to charge you lots of money. And all too often, these dogs that are being marketed heavily are mixed breeds. They're not worth a dime. But the marking says, oh, this dog is special. This, this dog is unique. This dog is of a, a unique color. But what is behind that dog? What are you paying for? When you pay from a reputable breeder, you're paying for the understanding that this person has put a lot of research and understanding into trying to safeguard you from having problems with your animal long-term. And those problems that you have with skin issues or allergies allergies or hip problems can be really, really costly. And that's what they're trying to save you from is that costly, problematic situation. The In selecting a puppy... It's not a whim. This is like the Christmas season, right? So you look at people are buying dogs for people as gifts. Huge mistake because it's cute. It's cuddly. And then the dog comes home and it's got um, loose stools or whatever the case may be because of where they got it from. You can't safeguard and protect a dog from Jardia and all the other products that are out there because everything goes into their mouth. But you can have an understanding of this breeder is doing the best they possibly can to make sure that I have an animal that's going to be within my family for a long period of time. And one of those red flag questions you can ask a breeder, how long do you think I'm going to have this animal? And they usually will tell you, well, until you have to bring him back to me. That's the, and if there's an emergency situation, the dog comes back to me. Most of them will go, I don't know. That's a red flag to me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the very first red flag that you can determine. Or you can ask a breeder, um, 
what kind of health issues were behind this dog's pedigree? Because they've done the research. Oh, this dog might be a carrier of this, so we don't want to breed it to that. It's not trying to be a snob. It's trying to make sure that you have that healthy animal that you don't have to deal with the issues for. The other side of the coin is when you have a dog of any category and you take one breed and you mix it with another breed, you have now de-domesticated that animal. It's no longer domesticated because all those years of work that goes behind one pedigree doesn't transfer over when you mix the two breeds. So sometimes you have a lot of these mixed breeds that have issues because they're wild. You know, the wild dog has no need for the human. So they become aggressive at 18 to 24 months. They are not accepted for, to other dogs because they don't, dogs don't do it that way. The domesticated animal that has been selected to do it that way, that's the only reason why they do. They Otherwise, they wouldn't pack with well with people. They don't want to go to the dog park. They, dogs don't do that. So they never get the memo that they're not dogs. We domesticate them to the point where we try to find avenues in the animal that fit the needs of the human being that make the human being enjoy the animal. And the ones that didn't, if you look, go back less than 50 years ago, bad dogs got culled, all of them. So you saw less problems with bad dogs. Now in today's society of save everything, you have more kids bit in the face. Don't you think a lot of dog behavior, now some of the aggressiveness can be passed on genetically, of course, but a lot of dog behavior as well is due to improper training of dogs and environment. Don't you think that sometimes like, I just feel like I see a lot of uh, people, families, what have you that get dogs that kind of expect them just to be fall in line in the family as a human being versus really understanding dog psychology and training the dog in how they understand it in their language and not how humans would understand it. You know, your, your identification is 100% correct. Um, but if you look at the dog, the dog does what dogs do. Okay. And I tell every single person I talk to, all dogs are aggressive, depending on the situation. If they have to go to protect themselves, oh, yes. the human being is going to say that's aggression. If the dog is hungry or injured and the dog goes to lash out and bite, that's aggression. If the dog goes to protect its food, it's protecting a resource, that's aggression. If the dog's playing tug of war with a toy it's biting and growling and that's aggression because that represents that dog taking down an animal and ripping skin off the flesh that's aggression but in the human world we will say the dog's playing well because it's not directed at a human in a bad situation um but the dog environmentally if you don't teach the dog that that behavior is not accepted then they escalate it so, so you're not an advocate of tug of war. I tell people to be cautious. Yeah. Um, I mean, years ago, and it goes back to, I used to, in my dog class, say no tug of war at all. And not soon after I said that to an individual, I had a dog that had been in my class who grabbed a scarf that was attached to the child and the child's being drugged with the scarf on, and the scarf is tightening around the child's neck. Turned out to be a very bad situation. That's tug of war. Dog doesn't know the difference. So unless you tell the dog have an environmentally strong situation where you can tell the dog to stop or have strong obedience so you can stop them in their actions, that's called communication. 
And you have individuals out there that say, don't tell a dog no. Well, guess what? If you never tell a dog no, you never have it when you need it. You never have the ability to stop it from running out in front of a car. You never have it when it's getting ready to chew on an electric cord and get it so you don't have the words to stop. Or if you go, I'm going to bait and switch the animal. So it's chewing on the cord and I take a bait. The dog will go, I'll get there when I get there because I'm engaged in this. So you don't have the ability to communicate. So human beings take for granted oftentimes what the dog's going to do. And the dog doesn't have a clue unless you in line give them the communication line to understand what you're saying, stop this or sit here, or go there, or sit in this chair or whatever. The case may be whatever training aspect is, find drugs, find bombs. You don't teach them. They're just going to do what instinct tells them. And instinct does not ever include the human. It doesn't include them. That is true. So many, do you think that people spend too much time? Um, this is what I also kind of observe and you can, let me know if this is your observation or if it's just me is I see a lot of people telling their dogs no all the time, but not taking the time to teach their dog what to do, what they're asking them to do. So there's, they're always just saying no, but they're not doing the other follow through of like saying, this is what I would like you to do. Here, you know, here's the, the problem with the no situation. Human beings have work in a negotiation world. Okay. In a barter system. If I say, don't sit in that chair, you understand what don't sit in that chair means. If I say, be careful, don't grab that electric cord, you're going to get shocked. You understand what that means. But in the dog's world, mom has taught them what no means physically. When she told the puppies to stop nursing, she would grab them with her mouth and she'd give them a whine, cry, or growl, which meant her no command if she applied pressure. When the puppies were fighting amongst each other, she would grab one of them and stop them by applying pressure. So when a dog gets into our, our household and we don't say no with a physical side, we, they just hear blah, 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 blah. But in the human world, we will yell at them a no and the dog physically stops because they're trying to identify what the bark was for. And so then human being goes, oh, my dog knew to stop then because it stopped. No, it's just trying to figure out what the danger is, what the alert response was. So you have oftentimes people saying no, 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 no to their animal, but the dog goes right back to it because that no meant nothing to them. So if you go through the process of using the proper tools and showing your dog what no means, and I don't mean jumping to an e-collar because people jump to those, but showing the dog what no means or showing what dog what, I meant stop doing this, do this, stop doing this, do that. They pick that up real easy, but it takes the repetition of showing the dog what you want. And literally showing. I mean, if you don't want your dog to run out the door, guess what? Take a thousand repetitions of showing them, open the door, make the dog sit, make them dog greet somebody, and you can show them exactly what you want. And the dog will go, when that door is open, I'm supposed to stop and sit. But if you never show them, they're just going to do it. Up oh, there's obviously good things on the other side of the door. Let's go. Connecticut. We are in the late fall. We've been back at the cabin to rake the leaves and get the dock out. Now we're into hunting season, and that means Connecticut water in the woods. Last summer, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin, and what a difference. For as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that stinky, foul well water. But after a really painless four-hour installation, we now have Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make early morning coffee before getting out to fish. Instead, we now have great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. The laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut water cleaned up the showers, 
and the dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Kinetico.com to find a dealer near you and join the Kinetico family. This message is brought to you by the Minnesota Propane Association. Clean, affordable, reliable energy. These are all the things that people want for their homes and businesses. The one source of energy in Minnesota that can offer all of these benefits is propane. Clean. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than the equivalent amount of the electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Affordable. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, propane costs approximately 30% less than electricity in the U.S. The savings in Minnesota can even be higher. Reliable. Propane is energy stored on site, independent of the grid. Propane can power your home or business anytime you need it. Energy. Propane is a direct energy source used at your home or business, unlike electricity, which is produced somewhere away from your home. By the time electricity gets to your home, 66% of the energy used to produce it is lost. That is why propane is approximately three times more efficient than electricity. Propane, the right energy right now. For more information on what propane can do for you and the environment, go to propane.com. Heatog, the hottest name in portable propane heaters. More reliable, wider heat area, and packed with features for hunting. Camping, fishing, tailgating, workshops, and job sites. Tired of melted ice at your feet in your pop-up ice shelter? Heatog is the only heater with adjustable tilt that sends the heat exactly where you want it. Heat your body, not just your feet. You want more features? Heatog keeps your fuel warm for longer runtime per tank. Plus, these portable units blast heat to a 33% wider area than the competition. With three different models to choose from, there is a heat hog just the right size for you to get easy-to-use, portable, reliable heat. Stay warmer, longer with Heat Hog. Visit HeatHog.com and order one today with free shipping. Heat Hog, the only one that tilts. So let's go back to like choosing a puppy because I think this is valuable information. Um, let's start before we get into choosing a puppy from a breeder. Many people today, rescues, obviously there's a lot of dogs back in rescue. A lot of COVID dogs got returned and now we have a lot of rescue organizations and humane societies that are flooded with dogs. If someone wanted to go into a humane society or work with a rescue program, what would be some advice you would give them to find the right fit for a dog? First of all, I tell them to sit around the table with every family member and, and write down what their schedule is. Okay. Determine on what their personal schedule is. Now, after they've sat down and write, had their schedule, now write down what they think their activity level is. How much energy do they want to exude on this animal? Do they want a couch potato? Do they want a dog that goes out for walks? Do they want a dog that they don't care if it can walk up the stairs or not? What do they want as a goal that fits their household? Because you'll, if they sit around and talk around the table, you'll have different ideas of what that dog would represent. If you get the dog that represents not well to two of the family members, the dog's going to have a tough time in the household. If it's mom and dad that it doesn't represent well with, it's not going to have a great time in the household. So knowing that structure first before you go out and even select a dog. Now, it doesn't matter to me if you get a rescue. 
to be honest with you, dogs are dogs. Yes. Um, I always steer people towards getting what they think they want to get. So that'll lean them towards a, a reputable breeder. But when they're going into a rescue, now they don't want the dog that comes running up to them first either. They have to evaluate that as well. So now that they've determined what style of animal that they want, and that style has to do with hair type. Do they care about shedding on the floor? How much do you want to vacuum? Do you need to make trips back and forth to the groomer, groomer with this animal? Haircuts uh, are expensive. It, do, you, do, you, <laughs> do you want to know whether or not the hair length is going to be, whether it's a non-shedding animal so that you're going to have to go three trips a month to the, to the groomer? And it's three trips a month, not once a year, um, if you're grooming your dog accordingly and keeping it healthy. Or do you want a dog that's the same 150 pounds? Do you want a dog that's 200 pounds in a natural weight? So you have to know those types of things. And what kind of space do you have? If, you're, if you live in an apartment right now, I'd say no to, to the average person because you're going to either be doing stairs or elevator to take them outside to go to the bathroom, which can be cumbersome to people that they all but 10 times get the dog on a whim and then they want to get rid of it because they have to put that work in. So you have to look at those types of things. Exercise requirements. Do you want a dog that's older, that's already seasoned? Do you want a puppy that you're going to have them destroy at least $1,000 worth of stuff unless you interact with it? Do you want a dog that you, has already been kennel trained and already has a destination to go or just return because of whatever reason? And you want to make sure that you vet the dog, meaning when you get that dog home, have it on a trial. And that trial should be more than a week. If the rescue says you can only have a week's trial, you don't want it. Because the stories that you oftentimes get aren't accurate. And for the dog to do their bad behaviors, usually aren't till the second week of owning the dog. So if it's aggressive type uh, behavior, trying to take over the household. So knowing what you want as far as style goes is extremely, it's almost more important than the dog itself. Because most dogs, if you take them in and you put in the work, you put in the training, you can make a great dog for the average household. But it's the work side, the training side, and making sure that you're willing to pick up the pee and poop or, you know, not have it in your house. Otherwise, you just have chaos. And a lot of people love dogs, but they don't want to do the work to, to keep them. That is true. And dogs are worth every amount of work that they that they need, of course, but they are definite work. Like there's always extra steps in the morning that you have to take the dog out, make sure your dog gets exercise first thing in the morning. Um, of course, it's make sure it's not only physical needs are met, but also it's, they have mental needs as well, which a lot of that is physical needs, but, um, that the but training it's funny that you say that their physical, their, their mental needs are based around physicality. Yes. Because if you look at the average dog, their goal is to eat, sleep, breed and take over territory. Yep. So when you look at bringing that puppy into your household, what needs do you have to have made? Eat, sleep, breed, take over territory. So when you have that young dog that you get, whether you get it from a rescuer and whatnot, knowing if I have a herding dog like a Corgi or Sheltie or Border Terrier, it might start being nippy. But you have to train that behavior so that it doesn't become nippy. If I get a, a shepherd or a larger herding dog, guess what? I have not only a herding dog that's got meat to its bones, so it's going to be, try to be controlling. Or I get a, a bigger dog of a Rottweiler, a working type animal. They have to have the, the same needs, but they're just bigger. 
Or then I go into the terrier realm. Well, if I buy a terrier or anything that has terrier in it, I have to understand that I have to put in five times more repetitions to get it to do one action than I would if I have to buy if I buy a lab. But then I have to look at what style of lab that I get. Do I get a field style lab, which there shouldn't be two, but if I get a field style lab or if I get a show lab, one's more laid back than the other. So understanding those details when you're sitting around the table talking to each other about what you want in a dog, like the husband says, well, I want it, or the wife says, I want a dog that hunts. Okay. You understand that you're going to have to work that hunting dog. You're going to have to have control over that extra energy. You're going to have to have commands that dial that in so it's nice at the house. Or you're going to have a dog that's destroying the inside of the house hunting. That is true. <laughs> they're going to hunt your socks down. They're going to hunt they're your gonna socks. <laughs> they're, going to, they're going to hunt the, the toys. They're going to destroy a lot of stuff just hunting. And, and then they'll be fabricated to that the dog has separation anxiety because it goes and destroys the trash can every day. No, you left good food in there. It's hunting. Yep. So when you're picking a dog, it, it, it is more, um, it's more regiment than just going, oh, I'm going to run out and grab a cute dog. It, there literally should be some homework done on whether it be purebred, mixed breed, the rescue that I'm buying it from, the the any source that you're buying a dog from. It has to be really looked at because there's a lot of stuff out there right now that people are being sold a bill of goods. And just recently I had a phone call from a lady who's, they just got this dog from a rescue and the dog's biting everybody in the household. And I don't mean play biting. I mean, injuring everybody in the household. I said, so, well, it was cute. How old is the dog? 15 months old. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Well, then they want to ask the question, was the dog abused? No, it's just being a dog taking over the house because it can. You know, you go, I go over there and put a leash on it and tell it no. And the dog's like, okay, fine. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's treating them like a pack animal and they're not treating the dog like a pack animal back. So the dog's going, okay, so if I want to back you off into this corner, guess what? I'm backing you off into the corner and you have nothing that you can say about it. That is so true. I, I do think it is so important when people decide to get a dog to understand the breed type of dog that they're getting. If it is in the terrier group, the working group, the sporting group, because I don't sometimes feel that people really understand the hundreds of years of breeding that has gone into the genetics of the dog to have right. a job and they'll bring the dog into their house um, and not understand the drive it has to do hunting. Or if it's a cattle dog, the drive it has to nip your kid's heels to make sure they all stay in the room. Yes. <laughs> and they go to leave the room and the dog. Yes. Starts pacing around. Pacing back and forth in front of the door. And the kids are going, mom, we can't get out of the room. Good. Exactly. Watch TV without you. <laughs> and they, they don't understand that that is, you can't take that away from those dogs. And those dogs specifically are the ones that want to be told what to do all the time. Not just to have free reign of the house, yep. not to say, um, you know, Smokey, you can do whatever you want. Just come hang out. And they're treated like a human being per se. And doesn't mean when you tell the dog what to do that you're being abusive about it, but you do have to have more of an assertive behavior with the dogs because that's what they were bred to do for hundreds of years is just to be told what to do. And they love it. And I'm, when they have a job, they love it. I showed a video. This, a couple had a border collie cross. Okay. And I showed some of her behavior she was, and I showed them with this video of this border collie that was working a cattle farm. 
and they went out 500 yards to bring these cows in. And I said, you, you look at this dog, this dog is under total control the whole time, and he's loving every minute of it. What is the problem that you're having with your dog? It runs out about 100 yards and waits for you to tell it to do something. I go, yep. I said, it's instinctual. It's waiting for you to say, go find something to bring home. So they started working sheep with it. Now the dog's not destroying the house. Mm. It's doing this job. And they're like, we've never seen our dog so happy, right? Because all that breeding that it had on one side took over the other side, whatever it had, lab or whatever the cross was, none of that came through. Yep. None of it came through. So this dog was looking to have that job every day. So interesting. So, um, and going back to choosing a puppy with a breeder, say you decide on the the breed that you want yep. within, do you recommend that the breeder themselves interview you to see what type of lifestyle that you're going to lead and let the breeder choose the puppy for you versus like going in and sitting in the litter and whatever puppy walks up to you, you just take home. A lot of people hate that, but the average breeder who's a reputable, good breeder will know the dog that fits your family because they've been playing with those puppies. They've been exposing those puppies to activities. They've been watching the dog's energy level. They've been watching the interaction. So the majority of really good breeders, they go, this puppy will be best for your family. And sometimes people just don't like to be told which one to get. But what happens is if a person has 25 years experience of placing dogs in homes, they know that this high energy dog is not going to, work well with the couch potato family. But the coat, this dog is so cute. Yeah, but it's not going to work well in your family and you're, you're going to be miserable. So I, I tell people that go, it, a lot of times breeders won't let you come sit with their puppies either because they don't know where you've been. Oh, interesting. And, then, you know, and if you went from one family to the next family and you bring Toxidi or Jardia into their, their kennels, they don't like that. So there are a lot of reputable breeders considered snobbish because they're protecting their puppies and people don't understand that they'll go from the humane society looking at dogs and they'll go to the breeder's house. Well, these puppies have never been exposed to what's at the humane society. Sure. So you'll see a lot of protection happen that way because in their past years, they've allowed to have free reign into their house. And the next thing you know, they have diarrhea in their puppies and their dogs are losing weight. So a lot of the lessons that they've learned trial and error, you know, they'll send them videos, they'll do all that. And puppy day, they get to pick them up, but they're restricted on the rest of the litter. Yes, they get to see mom and pop. I'm not saying that restriction, but the problem is they want to safeguard the puppies from all this other kind of interaction prior to them having their shots, prior to them being able to, you know, ward themselves off from the other problems. So when they go in and select a puppy, Yes, I understand the feeling of one of picking the one that they want. I understand that feeling. And allowing a puppy to pick them, sometimes it matches up. So a breeder will put them in there and they align the same way. But if all of a sudden the, the human is saying, we want this one, and the breeder has done the interview and going, yeah, but you guys said that you're never going to hunt. You're never going to show this dog. You're never going to go out west, you're, you're never you're never going to do these things that this particular puppy is going to like to do. I can't send that dog home with you. Now, this one that you see laying there, who's not doing anything, 
is better suited for your personality. I mean, and, and that's just real world. I mean, I, I watch my significant other select people for dogs all the time. And they're like, this dog works great in my household. Yeah, because she knows every single one of those dogs. She knows every single one of their personalities. She knows this one's going to be more chewy than the other one. This one's going to need more work. This is going to need a person that has a better backbone. Those things, you, a person can't see it within themselves. I mean, I can pick up, that dog doesn't work for your family. Mm-hmm. I can listen to them talk to the dog. It's not going to work. You're going to have... I, you're going to have headaches. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're you're going to be calling me a lot every week. But that's when they don't match up. But the key, though, when they don't match up, that means your training levels have to be higher. Oh, yes. Okay. You can get the dog to work in your household, but you're going to have to make the adjustment because the dog's not going to. And you can't be mean to the dog just because it's not adjusting the way you see fit. So... The average dog, most people can have whatever dog that they want, but are they willing to do the work with the dog that they have? So you make it easier, breeders go, that one's going to work better for you. This one's going to work better for you. It's very true. I always say that dogs that come into your lives, they always are there to teach you something about yourself. Right. My Lieutenant Dan, teaching me something about myself. And that's that's your dog, <laughs> whose name is Lieutenant Dan. It's the wire-haired Vishla. The yes. cutest thing on the planet, by the way. He's teaching me something every day. Is patience. he? What is he's teaching you patience? Patience. That's what Bacon teaches me. Patience. So I think dogs do a really good job of teaching people how to have boundaries. But like he has no boundaries. A, he has none. All he wants to do is play next to me. But he listens to your boundaries. But see, this is what I mean. When dogs like I had a girlfriend that adopted a dog from the Humane Society and she adopted an Australian cattle dog mix. (laughs) That dog tested her boundaries and she, I was helping her with how to do some training with the dog and reminding her that this is a working breed and it really needs a job. And she leveled up. I have to give her credit. She really learned how to have um, confident, assertive direction for that dog and she said, it was hard for me at first because I feel like she's like, I felt like I was being harsh by telling the dog what to do all the time. Like, no, go sit down, get in your place. And, but the dog started growling at her kids at one point, right about that six month to a year mark. Yeah. Take it and over. yes. And that's what he was trying to do. And I was like, and that's what she realized is that he really taught me how to have better boundaries, not only with my dog, but probably with people. The kids. Every and single the, time teaching a person the kids goes to my dog class, okay, when you take gray out of your training, guess what? You get respect. Yes. But the dogs don't give you respect ever. Yes. You have to take it. Either yeah. you're the leader or, or you're the not. follower. Yes. That's it. That's, that's the only way their worlds work. So when a breeder says to you, you want this dog, why? The breeder said to me about Lieutenant Dan, I'm glad that you have that dog. Because he needed a 100% leader. He's the dog sure. that would jump out of the box and open up the doors and jump into the box and said everybody else did it. <laughs> he's the dog that's constantly moving. If I don't tell him to stop moving, he's constantly moving. Yes. And that is another, I think that's another really good tip as well. Because a lot of these hunting breeds want to be moving all day long. And people just assume it's okay to have your dog milling about all day long, but it's actually not that healthy for no. them. They really should have time to lay down and chill out. Yeah. And some dogs need to be told to do that. And uh, He is the dog. If I take him out and go hunting right now, 
gone crazy. Yep. While the other dogs are tired at the end of the day, he's still got the same energy, but he'll kill himself. Yes. Doing that. Yep. I can go, if I go all day for three days, if I'm not forcing him to stop and and at the end of the day, he'd kill himself. Yes. Just like a, a, a mushing dog. If you don't stop them, they'll run themselves to death. Yes. Because they're in that moment. They're in that. They don't, they don't care. They're just going. And next thing you know, they just drop over. It's too late then. That is so true. And a lot of people, I, I shouldn't say a lot of people, I think some people don't understand that it, that can happen. And that's important to tell your dog, like even playing or chasing a ball. Yep. Some dogs will chase a ball all day long and never stop until yep. they literally turn crazy. And that's why you, it's good to have the on switch, which is we're going to play for a little bit. And we also have the off switch. But you have to train that on and off switch. And that's so true. That's the difficulty when a person goes out and buys whatever puppy that they get and they bring it home. They don't start their training day one that they bring it in. They've heard too much on the internet, let it be a puppy. Because what does that mean? Let me destroy everything? Let, I don't me, know. Not, <laughs> let me not have rules? Yeah. But, the, but that's what they're told. But they read that or they see that on the internet or somebody says, let them be a puppy. I'm like, no. Start teaching them from day one that you bring them home what you want them to do. It's easier. If I had let Lieutenant Dan be a puppy, I, I wouldn't have a house. Because, oh, let me destroy this. Let me destroy that. North Dakota tourism. I can't believe it. We're in the woods and on the prairie already chasing birds. Summer is gone. Fall is here. And North Dakota, here we come. You know, the... You know, the most recent bird counts are just in, and the biologists report the total number of pheasants observed, which is 65 birds per 100 miles of roadway, that number is up 61% from last year. Broods, 7.5 per 100 miles, that's up 70%, and that means world-class upland hunting. On the waterfowl side, 2023 was one of the wettest springs on record, which means an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks. That number is also up from last year. You add to that North Dakota's PLOTS program, which is 800,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. And guess what? You have your spot just waiting for the perfect fall hunt. Make memories and hunt North Dakota. Plan your adventure just like we do at HelloND.com. Hi, everybody. Ron Shera here again with another nifty story. This one about my favorite bank, the story of Starbank. There's 10 of them in Minnesota, but here's where the plot thickens. A star bank is more than money. A star bank cares, cares about its customers, cares about the community, whether it's town parades or the kids' baseball team. Why? Because star banks are locally owned. They treat you right. Quite a tale, wouldn't you say? How do I know? Because Star Bank is also our bank at Ron Share Productions. Just another story with a happy ending. Star Bank, the bank that cares. Member FDIC. To learn more online, go to star.bank. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Propane, it's clean, efficient fuel produced right here in the United States. Schedule your propane service with a friend. Lakes Gas, a family-owned provider serving the upper Midwest for more than 60 years. 54 convenient locations in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now with offices in North Dakota and South Dakota, too. 
Lakes Gas employees live in the communities they serve, so you can expect personalized service from professionals. Oh, and the Lakes Gas offers competitive pricing without all the extras that tend to drive up fuel prices. Safe, dependable service. Lakes Gas, the right choice for your home, business, or farm. Visit lakesgas.com and join the family. Do you think that there's a fine line of what the expectations are of what a puppy can do just on based on how its mind is developed? No. So some people feel I, like, oh, I taught him to sit yesterday and he's, he's not sitting today. Well, here, I think you're right in that. I, what I would say when you're talking about the puppy expectation is if you teach a puppy, don't expect them to do it well. Yes. You know, you're, yep. you're giving the, it's like handing a two-year-old a crayon, okay? And say, write your name and they scribble. That's the best that they're going to do. Yes. But guess what? If you give that child a crayon every day and you mimic how you want them to write, by the time that they're writing it, you won't even have understand how much time that you put in. But guess what? As if you're doing it every day, just like me telling him to sit, we did a, a photo shoot just recently and he sat for three hours. It's like that particular work to sit for three hours didn't happen that day. You know, it happened an hour here, an hour there yes. at game fair. It happened, you know, bits and pieces at home. It happened, it, those, the podcast stuff that I do in the morning where he has to sit in the chair, it, it happened bits and pieces, but I was able to call upon it when I need to because of the words that were built in at the time. So when you look at the selection of a puppy, it, it's, it's your expectations have to be, I want you to do it, but I know you're not going to do it well. There's a difference between, and I don't believe puppy class should be a socialization class. Mm, mm -hmm. I think it should be interaction training. So you're hands-on showing the puppy what you want, hands-on showing the puppy that if it pops up when you take your hands off, that's fine. You're just showing what you want. It's not, uh, you know, let's have a free-for-all, let's tussle. One-hour playtime, the right. puppy classes. It's, it's a waste of your time. You're wasting the valuable time that you can teach the dog to behave around other dogs. That is so true. So now you, in the middle of your, your class, you have playtime, but then you also, in that cl same class, make them stop and start doing obedience again. You're teaching the on switch, off switch. And if you look at most puppy classes now, they're just on, you know, just go play. That is so true. And then we're just taking your money. It's like a one hour socialize your dog puppy playtime where there's not the opposite of let's teach your dog to be calm amongst other dogs. And all you're doing, if you add that calm, if you add that structure, guess what? When you're at a get together for Thanksgiving six months from there, you have that interaction with your dogs to be able to do that because you've already done the interaction. Training starts from the day that you bring the dog home. I don't care if it's a puppy that just came off the, the mom or it's a 10-year-old dog and you just picked it up from a rescue. If you start out with your dog does not know anything, like when they come into a dog training class for me or they when my board and train, somebody goes, well, my dog will do sit, it'll do, I'm like, okay. I just look at him in the eye and go, blah, 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 blah. Because as soon <laughs> as they walk in the door, I'm going to start the benchmark from they know nothing. So when they go home, guess what? They're doing it all because I didn't assume, well, if I have a treat over the top of your head, you sit. No, are you sitting because I have the treat over the top of your head because it's easier for you to see it? Or are you actually sitting because I told you to? You, can, you don't have an answer to that question. So you have to teach all the things that you want. And how, what is your recommendation on how 
many minutes per day someone should work on training with their dog from the day one that they bring them home? 10 minutes, 15? If this is what I used to say in class when I had group classes, I beg you to do 10 minutes twice a day. 10 minutes twice a day, and you will have a fabulous animal. But here's what happens. If you start out with 10 minutes on several different disciplines, not the exact same thing for 10 minutes, but 10 minutes with several different disciplines, you will work yourself into a half hour of training your animal. Your five minutes of sit, a couple minutes at stay, a couple minutes at come, natural walking, doing it all over again. Mm -hmm. You've got a half hour training into that animal. Guess what? Now, by the time that you've got a six weeks of you taking that dog home, you're saying those commands because of the repetition and the dog's following those repetitions. It's the repetition side that creates the communication between the dog and the human. It's not the treat. It's not the collar. It's not the leash. It's the repetitions. Because once you establish what this word means and this action, the dog goes, oh. And when the light bulb comes on and all of a sudden you're saying it and the dog goes, oh, this is what that word means. It's not the treat that's getting him to do it. It's the repetition that gets him to do it. The treat works for the human. The clicker works for the human. The collar and leashes work for the human. Just the sound of the clicker is enjoyable for people. <laughs> no, it, no, but here's, here's, here's how those, those tools work, okay? If I hand you a clicker or one of my sonic trainers, okay, and they push the sonic trainer, and they hand the dog a treat. What do they have to do in that interaction or interim? They have to show the dog what they want. So if they show the dog what they want and they hit the clicker or they hit the sonic trainer and they hand the dog a treat, guess what? They're working the dog. It has nothing to do with the tool. It has to do with the interaction. So if I hand you that tool or a training chip and you go work your dog, it's the training. It's the interaction that's doing the work. It's not the treat nor the tool. Aha. Uh -huh. Repetition is key, everybody. My goodness, so much information. I Is there anything in this book that you would say is some of the most valuable information that you put in here besides all of it? But if you were to pinpoint. Wow, that's a that's a really unique question. Because this book, how many, I mean, this, we were talking 544, five, 544 pages, <laughs> 544 pages full of of dog information? Um, dog selection and dog behavior. Behavior is probably one of the most parts, or most important parts that I would pinpoint in that because of breed selection. Um, understanding how to avoid those aggressive interactions is probably one of the things that sit out the most for me because people have aggressive interactions with their dogs and they don't understand them and they mm. escalate them. That is true. So are you talk even like walking down the street, you see a lot of inter aggressive interactions between yep. dogs meeting on leashes. Yep. And let's talk about that because I see this too. Um, explain to me how you feel, and I'm a, I'll explain how I feel people um, encourage the aggressive interactions. What do you see? Well, the average person when that dog goes, starts to growl or snap at another dog on leash, the first words out of their mouth is, it's okay. I was going to say the same thing. It's exactly what I hear. And so what they've just told their dog, this is how I want you to behave. Instead of saying, knock it off, sit, or knock it off and giving them a direction or knock it off or them redirecting the animal, they go, it's okay. And then they apply pressure. Okay. So now the dog feeling that pressure of them pulling back on the leash, like, okay, so you're holding me back because I need to go 
take care of this animal and protect my family and my household. So now the other dog engages. That is so true. I've also heard, be nice, you be nice. And, and you just see they, the dog's body getting more and more tense and the owner's like, you be nice. And as soon as they, as soon as they <laughs> take that higher tone, yep. it escalates the animal. Because if you ever, well, I don't know, very few people have paid attention to when they hear a, a coyote take on a rabbit. Okay. That rabbit squeals. Oh. Everybody else comes in for the kill. Yeah. So does squeaky toys. So does squeaky toys. So when the dog goes, you go squeak, squeak, squeak. The dog goes and grabs that squeaky toy and shakes it. Right. Yeah. So when that human being takes those higher octaves, they engage those dogs into problems. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. So the dog goes, it's not okay. So I'm growling and attacking it. So, or they'll do the bait and switch. The dog's growling. They'll go grab a treat out of their pocket. So the dog goes, this is the behavior that I have to do in order to get the treat from my human. I have to do the attack kill thing, which instinctually we're going to go territory wise. Yep. And then when I get to there, oh, I get, it produces food. So rather than me killing that dog, eh, I turn to mom, it produces food. I turn to dad, <laughs> it produces food. So the human being encourages the animals to respond in a negative way by their own interactions. Now, instead of standing tall, putting the dog behind him and saying, I got this. Yeah. What is your recommendation on how to prevent those situations? Or if you see your dog getting tense and let's talk about some of the body language signs that happen way before the actual growl and the snarl happen. So one of those, one of the key, key signs is the dog spots that dog at 300 yards away. Yes. Cause you're going to get a lot of warnings from the dog before the dog even goes Long level 10. Before it. Yes. And the dog drops its ears. Yep. And the human being can go several directions. One, if, if my dog drops his ears, I go, what do you got? I acknowledge it first. Now he knows that I'm paying attention to what the environment is, has to offer. And then I can go leave it. But my leave it has been trained earlier at home. Leave it as I take a piece of steak and throw it on the ground and he has to walk from it and he never gets it. A toy ball goes rolling out in front of him and he never gets it. I do all kinds of things that he wants to engage in that he never gets. So therefore, when I go out in the public and we're walking and a dog goes to challenge, I go, no, leave it. He's not going to get the interaction. So you're showing him prior to that time frame. The hard part is getting the human to do the pre-work. They're walking around the lake. The dog's engaged. They don't stop the dog. They say, it's okay. And they escalate. They don't even switch directions. Mm -hmm. They try to fight the dogs past each other. Okay? Mm -hmm. Rather than I would make the dog sit, let the other dog go by. Very good advice. I also use the leave it command as well. Um, and I've also another behavior that you'll notice and people don't necessarily see it is their dog starts licking their lips. Oh, yeah. Nervous. Yes. That is another sign that your dog's about to go. Drop the ears. Mach 10. Get big. You know, a lot of times their hair doesn't stand up on the back of the neck. And that's what people look for about the dog being mean or their statement is, well, that dog's mean. No, that dog's protecting its family. Human beings are the only animal that eats with and travels with other animals. When we go down on a plane, we're traveling with other animals. Mm -hmm. Dogs would never get on the same plane. They'd either be with the pack that they are and kill everybody who's there, not share any of the space. That's what dogs would do. Mm -hmm. Dogs don't go to a restaurant and sit down and eat with other animals. If they make a kill, 
their pack is the only ones that get to eat there. Anything else that comes in, they run it off or kill it. That's the only two options that you have. I run you off or I kill you. So when you look at two dogs coming into a, a pack situation where they're walking down a path, if they're not trained, one dog says, I'm running you off. The other dog says, I'm running you off. Here's the hard part. They pass each other. They settle down. I just ran that dog off. Ah. So the next time that they see that dog or see another dog and that, that dog goes by, I just ran that dog off. So now they're reiterating the behavior of running the other dogs off. The human being goes, well, it was just a non-meeting and it's okay. So the dog's passed. Mm -mm. The dog's thinking, I ran him off. Same thing that happens with postal service syndrome. Postmaster comes, puts something in the box. Dog barks at him at the window. They leave. Dog goes, I don't know why. I keep telling them not to come back. And they come back every day about the same time. And I run them off. Ah, so they, then they feel like they accomplished their job for the day. Accomplished their job. <laughs> I ran them off. So the hard part about it is what the dogs are doing and what the human is seeing are totally different aspects of, of what's going on. So you have to have a strong line of obedience training. You have to have a strong line of, of stop, leave it, or no. Um, you can say no to your dog. Uh -uh, it won't hurt their feelings. It doesn't break their nope. psyche. It doesn't, you know, there's, there's a lot of internet positive reinforcement talk out there. And then I asked the world, how does positive reinforcement deal with the kids nowadays that haven't been told no? It's not working. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work for dogs either. Yes. So, and it doesn't, it works less. I mean, it, it's, their interaction is, is cause and effect when it comes to dogs. If the dogs are unleashed, sometimes they're more aggressive than the dog off leash because they're being held back. Some dogs are dog more aggressive when they're behind the side of a fence. And you open up the fence door, they're like, oh, no, I was just kidding. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I really didn't want to get engaged in this because, and that's how they respond. So that's part of uh, the interaction. I mean, humans, how humans view what the dogs do is where the true problem is with aggression. As I say it all the time, dogs are always going to be and always will be aggressive in the right situation. They get back to the corner, aggressive. They yep. get hurt, aggressive. You know, they get hit by a car and you have to render aid. They're going to be aggressive to protect themselves. Um, little Johnny gets hurt and is screaming. Mom goes to walk up. Dog might protect little Johnny. Or the dog might be the opposite and go bite little Johnny to tell her to shut up because, or tell him or her to shut up because you don't want to put the pack in danger. So it depends on dogs read things differently than we do. So, well, the dog turned on the child. What was the child doing? Well, they were screaming. What was happening in the household? Mom was telling everybody to be quiet. So the dog goes over to the to child to quiet the child down. Mom said, be quiet. So how dogs read things and how we perceive them are a lot of times vastly different. So true. And hence why people need to read your book. Because cover to cover. it talks about dog psychology and really learning how to speak the dog's instinctive genetic language versus trying to force our human preferences they never onto get the, the memo. dog. They never get the memo. No, <laughs> they don't. And they you have a happier dog. Um, and we all want to do what's best for our dogs because we love our dogs. And the best thing you can do for your dog is really learn how they communicate yep. and speak their language and not try to force our human being emotions and language Ooh, you onto said the them. Emotion word. Yes. I mean, you know, I love my bacon's in the room with us today, by the way. He's taking a nap as usual. But um, 
you know, I, he's a family member. We yeah. all love our dogs. Like they're part of the family. Um, and I do him a service the best that I can to speak his language. Um, and so he, we have a good communication style, but he does teach me patience every day because the bulldog now, your wife, Sandra, is a bulldog breeder. breeder, and she shows bulldogs, English bulldogs. And she is, hands down, I think, the most beautiful and perfect confirmation bulldogs all around. Um, but uh, she also knows the understanding of patience with the bulldog world. I train a lot of dogs, from bulldogs to, I mean, I, I train everything. And it takes different understandings in each dog that you train. You know, I use a formula that most people, if you look at trainers, I go, I tell a person a thousand repetitions of something to get a dog to do it one time off leash. And then you're starting back over with that thousand. What it causes you to do is adjust. So true. Because like Lieutenant Dan, I can go train him today. I don't think he remembers his name. Really? <laughs> He's so cute. Oh. You know, I, I give him I give him so much flack. I, I have to take it back. He is a very, very, very good dog. He compared to the stuff. He's that the I, most beautiful Vishla. The, the ever. stuff that I make him do and have him do, uh, you can't find ten dogs on the planet that will, you know, sit there and have two hundred and fifty kids pet him. Yeah. You know, in the, in a three hour setting. You you can't just the things that he gets asked to do, I you know, are over the top and extreme and but he's He's, he's got the energy for it. He's my dog. Yes. Poor thing. He has to live <laughs> with me. <laughs> oh, come on. I've, I know your dog household is like a dream for dogs. Not his. <laughs> he has to battle those English bulldogs. He, he has to work. <laughs> he, exactly. He's, he's the working side of the family. All right, Coop. Well, tell us, this is uh, Positively Possome, Cartrell Cooper's new book, Great Christmas Gifts, by the way. Coming to Hawaii book signing on the 16th in Elk River. Okay, so tell people where they can, A, find you, the book signing, where they can find the book, all of those things. They can find the book on Amazon right now and okay. Barnes & Noble. Awesome. Um, they can come to the book signing in Elk River. It's a salon on Main, this, the 16th. Of December, for what time? From 2 to, no, from 11 to 2. 11 and 2. Is Lieutenant Dan going to be there? Lieutenant Dan is not going to be there. What? Barnes and Noble? I think he needs to be there. You better ask. He, he, he's not going to be there um, for my own personal sanity. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the question's been asked, where the, but he doesn't want to sign, so and it's not part of his contract. He wants more money. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and then if people want to just reach out to you about dog training, um, et cetera, where can they find you? They can find me at Big D's Dog Training. They can find me on Facebook. They can find me at gotadog.biz is the website. Is that your website, gotadog.biz? Dot biz. Okay. Yeah, gotadog.biz. Um, I can be reached. I can be found on Facebook. A lot of people, nowadays, a lot of people are reaching out to me on Facebook, which really surprises me. Awesome. Really surprises me. Um, or 651-398-5766 is my number. It hasn't changed for a million years. There you go. Dog trainer extraordinaire, Cartrell Cooper. His new book, Positively Possum, The Ultimate Dog Lover's Textbook. 544 pages full of dog information. Thank, Thank you, you for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, this, is, this is great. I'm so proud of you because of... Where you have come from and all the stuff that you do it really oh, amazes me. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind Watching of you to say that. Watching you grow in the business, it's, it's just awesome. Well, I we've known each other a very long time, so it's fun to have you here and to see you expanding uh, with your dog training tips and tricks. And I've always said you have so much information 
to share that you just need to get it out there. So it's, it's amazing to see the book is finally here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, Grain Belt, Connecticut, Heat Hog, Lakes Gas, Minnesota Propane, North Dakota Tourism, and Star Bank. Also, remember to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.